Hello everyone, Simon Jacobson here, and we will be speaking about what it's like to be honest with yourself. Honesty, it's a big word. The only honest, truly honest people, when you think about it, are little children, to the point that their parents have to shut them up often, try to shut them up, not to share everything they see and hear and experience. After that, as they say, it goes pretty downhill. But what many people will say is that since we live in a hostile world, in a world where you're not safe, where you don't know what other people are doing and their interests and their, and their um, self-interest, so you have to protect yourself. And that justifies the reason for us to not necessarily always be totally and completely honest. That doesn't mean we have to be dishonest, but to say everything, everything that you're feeling and everything that you um, experience to share. As I said, we have various many reasons why we don't. And some of them are justifiable, at least this is how the argument goes. You may be misunderstood. You may be... Um, not appreciated. It may be people that you're dependent on. If you share every sentiment, it may not work in your interest. So for those and many other reasons, we often put on masks that we wear and how we interact with different people. These masks are the veils that allow us to function, to maneuver in the life that which we live in which we, the life which we live. The question is, okay, even if you were to say, fine, when you're swimming with the sharks, you have to be a shark. You have to wear different masks in order to function, survive, thrive even. But what about with yourself? Do you know how to be honest with yourself? Do you even know what the self is? Often we are so accustomed, we become so accustomed to the masks we wear, we become our mask or our masks. Being honest with yourself is a far, far greater challenge than it may sound. So as I said, what's one thing when we're young, very young, so then we've not yet developed defense mechanisms, not yet developed any type of tools and armor to protect ourselves with, and other forms of maneuvering as we do with different people that we interact with. As many people will say, you know, when I put my foot in my mouth, or I speak openly and I'm very honest and candid, I get myself into trouble. You can be misjudged, you can be misunderstood, as I mentioned, or other things like that. Not appreciated, taken advantage of, taken for granted. So I need to couch and even conceal many of my natural reactions in order to please others, in order to placate, in order to, to function. So a young child, a young child is naive, a young child does not yet know of the dangers and the perils or the need, the compromises and negotiations that we all go through in life. But as I said, what about with yourself? What happens to the fact that you yourself may now become the garments and the, and the masks and the cloaks that you've worn, has become your identity. And why is it that important, for that matter, to really be honest with yourself? 
And the reason, and the reason for that is because honesty is about truth. And truth is about fully, being fully who you are. When a person lives a lie, or lives a life that's not them, they put on the garments of somebody else, then what happens is it undermines and it compromises your ability to really actualize yourself. So the first person being hurt is yourself. That's the ironic thing. It's when it talks about other people, you can say, okay, fine, for you to survive, for you to thrive, for you to succeed, there's no other way, but you need to somewhat please, somewhat conceal, somewhat not always express exactly what is I, what's inside of you. As they say about a drunk, in Yiddish they say, this is often lung is often sunk. That which is on his lung is on his tongue. Whereas a person who is in a healthy situation, not everything that's on your tongue, on your lung is on your tongue. You have filters. But when it comes to yourself, fine, as I said, that's functioning in the world. I'm not even that, as we shall discuss, can always use a bigger dose of truth and clarity. But with yourself, as one of the Rebbes, one of the Hasidic Rebbes once said, the Rebbe Marash, the fourth Chabad Rebbe says, it's easy to fool others. Um, you can, you can, not easy. You can fool others. You can fool, what's the expression? Remember the full expression, but it goes like this. You can fool others, but when you fool yourself, what's the big kunst? What's the big trick? What's the big innovation to fool a fool? In other words, fooling yourself, fooling a fool, what's the big accomplishment? But it goes even deeper than that because, as I said, it doesn't allow you to actualize. It doesn't allow you to really be yourself. You've become another persona. That's why it's so vital. So this is what we're discussing, how to be able to get to recognize yourself. I can even go further, and many people don't even know who they truly are. They're so busy performing for parents, for peers, for educators, for society, for their own illusion of what other people expect, that they have lost sight of who they truly are. And that's the saddest thing of all, because the greatest asset you have is you. So how do we pierce through these cloaks, through these shrouds? How do we get to know who we are? And how do we also build the courage, the tools, to actualize that and act on it? So it's two steps. So what is it, what is it like to get to be honest with yourself? So let's begin. I'll use a case study, if you wish, a story, where it happened once, more than once in my lifetime. People come and see me and we talk about their lives. And it becomes apparent after a while that that person is living a life to satisfy and to make others happy because that person feels that's the only way they'll be valued. So when a person has been in any way hurt or violated, or even in a more subtle form, has not allowed to emerge and blossom on their own, what happens is they're busy buying love. How do you buy love? Not necessarily with money, with behavior. Certain ways, certain type of behavior to ingrate in, 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 <laughs> endear yourself, ingratiate yourself to people. Now we all do a measure of that because as I said earlier, there are times we need things from people, so we do that. It's not always manipulative, it's not always bad. 
But when a person is living so much of their lives and becomes a dominant force, in a way they're living in constant fear that they'll be exposed. I remember hearing this from people. For the first time I was like somewhat taken aback. And then it becomes obvious. Because as a child in your impressionable years, when you're not validated and not affirmed and not nurtured, that's what happens. So in a very subtle way, I've seen very sophisticated people, intelligent, brilliant, frankly, people who have a lot going for them, but so much of their energy is invested in maneuvering. They go to a party, they go to an event, they meet people, they're always figuring out, how am I going to look good? And it's not even conscious. It's almost unconscious. They cannot, they, they, you could sense that the person is not comfortable without that type of maneuvering. They're just being as comfortable in your own skin and just sit there, even if nobody comes over to you. So I remember a person who told me, I go to an event, a wedding, a party, there's no such thing as me being not alone, as me being appearing as if I'm alone, because that makes me look like a loser. And I thought to myself, you know, really very comfortable, people who are really comfortable in their own skin are able to just sit alone, even in public, and it's fine. They're comfortable. But when you're not comfortable with yourself, you find you need the persona, the persona that you're liked, you have a good joke, you're a good gift of gab, you're just a party person. And again, it could appear to others that everything this person is really very sociable. And the other person seems to be a loner. When the truth is exactly the opposite. The person who needs to do this is because they need that affirmation. They need that acceptance. The other person is a far more comfortable person and therefore when they have a relationship it's going to be a far more honest one. Now what happens with the, the former? Former is you, you, you're liked very much. People find you very charismatic. They find you very outgoing, very useful, insightful. That's a big part. You give good advice. You give advice that's unique because that's part of your need is to show that you're unique, that you stand out. And then you expect in return the same type of reciprocal respect. And you don't necessarily get it. And then suddenly there's the crash. That you did not receive the respect you thought you would receive. For a while, yes. But it's so unrealistic because you didn't really do it in a natural way. You did it almost in a way that you're overcompensating. So that, that dishonesty, in a sense, even though it's taking the shape of helping, and it could even be helping. I'm not even suggesting it's deceptive. But it's not honest. So therefore, it's going to have to come back to bite you. So what do you do in that situation? You can continue living a life of continuing to try to ingratiate and try to endear and try to compensate and fill the void, the deep void, even the deep loneliness, and continue to crash again and again. You'll often see people like that. Everything becomes black and white. That person, I did so much for them. And look how they turned on me. Because you're almost setting up a scenario that they will ultimately disappoint you, as it was in the first place. Why are you doing this in the first place? Because you were disappointing, so you feel, felt you need to compensate for that. And that's what ends up happening. All with the good intentions. Obviously, option two, and frankly it seems to be the only option, is to figure out how can you get comfortable with yourself? That you do not need to have that type of validation. You don't need that necessarily dependent on respect. We all need respect. 
but not dependent on it for your very survival and your life. So that's a slow process, but it's a process nonetheless, which I'm going to describe now. I will just say the other extreme, what happens is when you get those disappointments and you crash, then what you do is you say, you know what? I'm not going to give anybody anything anymore. I give, 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 and people don't respect and appreciate it. And you go to the other extreme of isolating yourself again, feeling not worthy, feeling that nobody likes you, feeling you don't deserve love. So it all comes around again. The solution is neither one extreme or the other. You don't have to be the pleaser and constantly looking for that, get feeding off other people's love of you. Oh, you also don't have to go the other extreme of isolating yourself and um, in despair or in resignation. So this brings us back to our souls, to the soul. Enter the soul. Let's welcome our souls. How do we introduce our soul into the equation? Because it's your soul that really gives you self-confidence. It is your soul that really gives you a sense of self-respect and self-esteem. And therefore, it's a soul that ultimately allows you to be honest with yourself. So if you ask, what is it like to be honest with yourself? What is it like to get to know your soul? And you'll be surprised at what you discover. You'll be surprised at the level of peace it brings to you. A person that's comfortable in their own skin. Imagine. Do not have to put on another layer of skin, or a mask, or a disguise, or a uh, masquerade. In order, or, or a chameleon like shape and form to its environment, adapting to really be comfortable in your own skin. Where does that originate from? Your soul. So in the morning prayer, we say, Thank you for returning my soul to me. I mention it very often, Moda'ani. Then we say, My soul, the soul you've given me, is pure. You've created it, you've shaped it, you've imbued it, instilled it within me, and you protect it within me. Why does it need protection? Because it lives in a world that's insecure. But it originates from a pure place. And when you know that, when you wake up in the morning knowing fully well that your soul is intact, and nobody needs to be there, no one needs to validate that, no one needs to confirm it, no one needs to give you a stamp of approval, that's where you begin to develop that generating from within self-respect. You begin to get to know who you are, and that's what it feels like to be honest with yourself. And you therefore stop lying. Now remember, lying sounds like a big word, and it is. There's real deception. There's duplicity. But lying also takes the form of very subtle lying. That maneuvering. And someone will say, is that really you? Or are you just performing? It's not a comfortable question to hear. But often it's performing. Honesty with yourself, you know what it does? Besides everything else, it also does not, you don't need to expend that much energy. You don't get exhausted from putting on masks, from performing, from entertaining, from projecting, because you're just being yourself. So how do we begin? We begin in a very simple way, in the morning is the best way to begin. So we told in the, we told in the ethics of the fathers that the world stands on three pillars. Study, Torah, service, and good deeds. In Hebrew, Torah, avoid the gemilas chasadim. Study is a cognitive conditioning to focus on things that are not about you, to focus on the bigger picture, the transcendent picture, the divine purpose of things, the divine will, 
the divine plan for your life. The second service is of the heart, is emotional training and conditioning to emotionally be focused, again, not on yourself, but on what you're bringing to the table, what your contribution is in fulfilling the mission of your life. And the third is actions, good deeds. Kamilas chasadim literally means to bestow kindness, which is to be kind and compassionate and giving to those around you. If you can create con- cognitive conditioning, emotional conditioning, and behavioral conditioning, that's how you begin to ex- identify, uh, you begin to get a, become aware of and express your soul in this world. So the first step of all is stop focusing on yourself. This, this effort that you often find in therapy and other interventions of how to build self-esteem is to focus on the self. Let's build up the self. And I'm suggesting the exact opposite. Less focus on self, more focus on your mission, on the cause that you're serving, the more likely that you become more comfortable with yourself and the more likely you become more respectful of yourself because you're being honest with yourself. So the focus of self, which is like, you know, myself has been destroyed, so now let's rebuild it. It's true, it needs to be rebuilt, but the way you rebuild it is not on egocentric activity. It's an activity outside of yourself, and then ironically, I don't know if ironic is the right word, paradoxically, that focus beyond yourself, that nurtures the self more than anything else. Can you imagine? Because what you're doing is you're taking yourself out of the equation. Remember, let's go back to the performer. The one that is so-called projecting, entertaining, putting on all those masks, what's going on? The self does not feel adequate, so it needs to perform. It's like someone getting up and going through, jumping through hoops and, uh, what do they call it? Uh, wheels and hoops. Or the, uh, hoops and, uh, I forgot what it's called, you know. Jumping through all kinds of, performing and dancing and showing off what's happening. That's a focus. I need to perform or else I won't be accepted. If I don't do so-and-so, if I don't do my homework well, if I don't get high marks, if I don't do the things that make my father and mother proud or others, I'm going to be punished. I'll be invalidated. I won't be recognized. I won't be respected. So what happens? That self, that very, very self-consciousness, now I have to do something for that self. You start playing, that self becomes all kinds of, it goes through all these machinations and all these activities in order to gain that respect. But then you pause and you say, okay, one second. Why am I busy doing all that? I have a soul. It's pure. It's divine. It's given to me and instilled in me every morning anew. Why don't I just focus on that? And that is not dependent on other people's approval or disapproval. My stocks don't go up if they love me and they don't go down if they don't like me so much. It's always good to have validation. But as I said, it's not the beginning and end of it. The beginning and end is validate yourself. Acknowledge yourself. Respect yourself. And how do you do that? You can't just meditate on it. You have to do things, and that's where it begins. You start with cognitive. When you open up a book, I give a class every morning in a classic, maybe the greatest um, mystical work ever written called Hemshech Bays. It means the uh, series of Ayim Bays, which was the year... 1912 in Hebrew, Tafresh Bays, 5612. 5672, I'm sorry, which is the, the parallels to the secular year, 1912. So I've been doing this for now for seven years. 
from the centennial of 1912-2012. I cannot tell you how refreshing it is, how invigorating it is, how literally an injection, you just feel a sense of being lifted on the wings of a higher presence, lifted on the wings of a spiritual journey. You ever stand in awe of something? The awe of one of the seven wonders, the Niagara Falls, or you go to a safari, or you see different awesome sights. What happens? You know what awe means? That it's not you. You're standing in awe of something greater than you are. That's the definition of awe. Imagine life without awesome moments. Imagine life without that sense of humility, that sense of, I would say, even deeper, suspension of self. And that enriches you better than anything. There's a certain calm as you stand in front of something that's awesome. You're just like taken by it. Instead of you taking it, you're taken by it. In the Kabbalistic structure of things, you know the spheres, the ten spheres, so you have the three cognitive, as we spoke about the cognitive, you have the seven emotional. And you have the last one leads to action. So you have the, t- the study, the cognitive, the emotional, and the action. In the cognitive itself, they're also, they all overlap, they're all like a hologram, they have like the microcosm of the others. So in the cognitive, you also have the spark of an idea. You just sense awe. An idea falls into your mind. There's a certain element of mystery, a mystique. You don't really get it, but you sense clarity, an epiphany. Then comes Bina, that's Chachma, Bina. And Chachma comes with Koyachma, the power of what? You say, what? what was that? The flash. Then Bina is developing the idea, and now you're beginning to own it. So sometimes we explain Chachma is the idea owns you. And being as you own the idea, it's becoming internalized, fleshed out, developed, comprehension. And then come Das. Das is the connection. You bond with it. In a way, it's the beginning, but now it's internalized, but it's also now part of who you are. You sense it. It's a type of conclusion, which leads you, of course, into the emotional realm. Because if you just understand things, can be distant, abstract. You may understand it in detail, but it's not about you. Das, which is the third cognitive quality, the third cognitive faculty and attribute, is the bridge, the key to all the six emotions. And emotions are already feeling it. Now, there's a longer discussion on the feelings within the cognitive and the cognitive within the feelings. That's not so relevant here, even though it's part of the process. But this is you're taking your faculties and you're allowing, to, you're allowing yourself to use them to experience something greater than yourself. So you could say, why do we need being in them? Why not just skip? Because we want it to be internalized. But we want what should be internalized? Something that's beyond you, not that's with you, which is you. So the first level of cognitive experience is the idea, the truth of it resonates. The second one is I understand. Or you could say the first level, Chachmah, is as I said, um, the idea grasps the person, and the second one, the person grasps the idea. Now, when you're really in the zone and you channel, you're in the first stage. And that's vital because you have to go out, out of yourself to be able to really, beyond yourself, to experience a transcendent truth. That transcendence is the key to building a self that's not dependent on others. Later you want to integrate it, but you want it to have that sense of awe. 
So do things that bring all. The first thing is cognitively condition yourself to experience, to study, to read, to learn awesome and transcendent ideas. Not about yourself, but beyond yourself. And you can stand in awe and just absorb and take it in, the magic of it all. Then comes the emotional, because the cognitive still remains in your mind. The emotional then is born out of that, that also an emotional sense of awe. Again, beyond you, because here the emotions are already you. The mind, you can say the mind is about an objective understanding of an idea. It's not about you and your subjective interests. Emotions are subjective. But like I said with Bina, Bina is meant to internalize that I understand it, but first it always comes after the chachma of the awe that's beyond you. That becomes part of you. It becomes bonds with you in Das. And now you're ready for an emotional subjective experience of what? Of something greater than yourself. If you don't have that first cognitive conditioning, then your emotional subjectivity is all going to be about my own interests, which includes my immediate needs, whatever you're emotionally seduced by or distracted by. But now emotions are coming into play, which are vital because the human being plays itself out in emotions. The emotions are now taking you to a place that is allowing you to be honest, the place that that is who you really are. Who you really are? to put, phrase it in a poetic way, is really something beyond who you are. Many people say, who am I? And they start defining it. And I'm telling you, who you really are is beyond who you think you are. And that itself is the key to becoming the most intact and secure person without the need to perform, without the need to entertain, without the need. Need doesn't mean you don't do it at all, but you don't need to do it and you're not desperate to do it. It's not the basis of your security and identity. And why then is action so vital? Because action brings it into reality. In this world, the cognitive and emotional, as vital as they are, but, but you still need the physical home. So if you just had a physical home without a spirit in it, without a vibe, that's like a hollow place. But we need, but on the other hand, if you only have the spirit, the cognitive and emotional, and you don't have the action, we live in a world of action. We live in a tangible, concrete world. So now you take all that and you say, you know what? I'm going to use the security I feel and I'm going to help another person. Not because you need to help them to fulfill your own, to fill your own void and to make yourself feel important and necessary. You help them because you want to help them because it's the right thing to do and it's because your cognitive and emotional experiences of something beyond you is now directing you out of strength you're helping other people, not out of weakness. So there you go. Some people you can see constantly pleasing and helping and volunteering. Beautiful, but at the expense of themselves. And here it's not at the expense of yourself because the self has come to recognize that the root of the self is beyond the self. And that's where the true secure self comes from. And that translates out of strength helping others. Chesed, kindness, compassion, virtue, acts of kindness. Now, I know this all sounds very interesting because then everything seems to like have a twist here. Let's talk about this thing with the self. The self is a very mysterious and same time can both get you into the deepest trouble, but also can get you to the greatest places. We've been trained in this world that if you don't take care of yourself, no one else will. That's what we've been trained. 
But the fact of the matter is, and, and therefore we live in a world of dog eats dog, survival of the fittest, we need to take care of ourselves. That only feeds into the insecurities because you're constantly looking over your shoulders, second-guessing. Are you really making it? Are others going to compete? Are others stealing your resources? Who's biting first? Who's going to the cookie jar first? It's a level, it's a life of insecurity. I heard it recently from a good friend who works in the finance world. He says, I was once a very calm and secure person, but in finance, the competition is so severe, they make you pitch friend against friend. You're all competing for resources. You're competing for raises, for bonuses, for um, promotions. And your life is constantly, did I get it? Did I not get it? I come home, I'm thinking right the next day, what is my next conquest going to be? Obviously, all driven by profit. The great distortion of life, as if that is going to give you security. But it's a great illusion, because money can buy things. Money can buy people. It can buy pleasures. So it creates the illusion of real security. They call it securities, ironically. When you go back and you say to yourself, one second, I am fine. This is my livelihood, and yes, I'm driven, and I hope to succeed. But I'm not defined by it. It's not the beginning of my life. It's not the end of my life. I'm defined by my soul from within. And that's where my source of security is. And it's not about the self growing bigger and gaining more, becoming richer and wealthier and more prosperous and and hoard more and have more material possessions. But it's about the self experiencing that which is beyond the self. And that gives you the deepest security that you don't need to be driven because your success is not driven by your net worth. It's not driven by your material conquests. It's driven by a soul that is making a difference in this world because it senses something beyond itself, cognitively, emotionally, and translated into action. And then you never become resentful by doing kindness for others because it's coming from within, from strength. It's coming from transcendence. Whereas the first one is coming from compensating and filling a void, inevitably, can you mostly will bring disappointment because you're not feeling that you'll be you're not feeling reciprocity, you're not feeling appreciated, and all the other things I mentioned before. So, what does it feel like? To be honest with yourself, it feels like being home, like coming home, kicking, kicking off your shoes, and just being calm, relaxed. Yes, it's healthy for a person to have a restlessness and an angst to grow. But again, that's an additional component to the calm. So the calm itself goes into the mode of restlessness. Not a restlessness of desperation, of trying to fill a void, an emptiness that's lacking, but one that comes from within. There's only one way to do it. You have to jump into the water, like swimming. You have to study, you have to pray, and you have to act. Hey, I just thought of that. Spa, the spiritual spa, soul spa. Study, pray, act. The study takes care of the cognitive, which allows you to imagine, to dream, to travel to places beyond your actual emotional state and definitely your action state. The emotions internalize it, that you are part of the experience, this higher experience. So it's not just intellectual awe, of a great idea, of an abstract idea, of an awesome idea. It's an emotional awe, emotional ah, wow effect. 
and it translates into a transcendent action. Spa. The soul's spa. And it creates that comfort because you're nourishing the essence of who you are. And you have the power to do so. You're not dependent on others for this. Do it every day in a consistent way. Just like exercise every day. Breathe all the time. You'll be surprised its effects on you. Try it out. Make a regimen. Create a regimen. Every morning, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes. You can begin with a prayer. You can begin with a study. And then make sure that every day you do some acts of kindness. And think of it coming from within you, not from outside of you. Not because you're satisfying anyone. Not because you're making anybody happy. It's because it's your soul's way of manifesting, experiencing this life. Now you'll say, one second, this is all coming from God, so I'm satisfying God. And I'm driven by fear or obligation or not feeling adequate. Well, anyone that has a relationship with God based on those sentiments is something very distorted. The difference between worshiping God and worshiping others is that God is transcendence and the transcendence of transcendence. It's not about some principle in heaven. It's not about, okay, if you don't do it, God will punish you. On the contrary, God is a higher presence that put us all here and allows yourself to connect to beyond the self. As the Kabbalists and the Hasidic masters explain, including in that discourse I mentioned, the series of Ayin Bey's of 1912, that the self itself comes from a place that beyond the self. That's what the divine is. When you worship something man-made or a man, you're just worshiping an extension of yourself. So it's back to the self again. So of course it's going to be elite insecurity. But when you can reach to something beyond yourself, that's awe. And that awe lifts you to a higher place than you can ever reach on your own. And all that comes together in creating something that makes you get to become aware. So yes, may the real you rise. Get to know yourself. You'd be surprised. Firstly, what you are. Secondly, what you can become. Now, there's courage necessary here. You know why? Because we have an old pattern. <laughs> Excuse me. And habit and routine. We're used to it. And the status quo exerts tremendous amount of pressure and energy. The inertia of just gravitating back to your old self. Not the real you, but the projected you. The performer, the entertainer. The one that has to put on masks. The one that's dishonest. Subtly or overtly. That's the challenge. How do you break that pattern? So the only way is you break patterns with patterns. You break an old pattern, an unhealthy pattern with a new pattern. That's why you introduce these three regimens. The cognitive, the emotional, and the action. Think of it this way. If a person has been drinking all their lives, or a big part of their lives, toxins. Not killers, because they're still alive, but your water that you're drinking is contaminated, toxic. And you've gotten used to it. Someone gives you a glass of completely fresh water without the toxins. You may even cough. You may say, this tastes terrible. So how do you transition when your body is already used to this and dependent on it? You do it slowly. Every day, take one drink of healthy water. The other water, keep on drinking. Slowly change the, the, the equation. That more healthy, less unhealthy. To the point that you can transition 
and completely clear up your system. Psychologically, this is also true and even more so. Habits and routines are extremely powerful. To just break them cold turkey, God bless you. If you can do that, it usually is not sustainable and doesn't last. However, if you slowly introduce into your routine healthy, spiritual, transcendent, cognitive, emotional, action-based activities, you're slowly taking control and slowly moving away. As you bring more light in, more the darkness gets dispelled. And the more you bring in, the more that becomes the controlling force. And do it gradually. You go slowly. You don't just conquer a land overnight. You'll see in times of war, or when one country is conquered, but even the Bible it talks about when the Jews entered Israel, it says, Ma'at ma'at agasheno. Slowly, slowly expel your enemies. Because if you do it quickly, you can turn the whole land into a wilderness, and it can create a lot of problems and, a, and famine, another, another, another des, a desolate place. You want it to be civilized. So things have to be done with transition. That's always the healthy approach, not cold turkey. You change slowly. You, un, you strip one garment, you put on another garment. Another, so that's how you slowly go from dirty garments to clean garments. Now, clothing, you could just say, let me just undress and just dress up in, cold, in, good, in clean clothing. Yeah, but it's healthier and easier, especially emotionally and psychologically, to do it in stages. And as we do it in stages, what happens is that you actually begin to change in a way that's sustainable. So you begin by tomorrow morning. Yes, tomorrow morning. If you want tonight, depending where you are, depending what time you have. And it's not about amount of time that you dedicate. It's more the consistency. Remember, the antithesis to the Chinese water torture is small drops of water day by day, day by day, day after day. And the story of Rabbi Kiva ultimately bore a hole, bore a hole and pierce even the most callous, even the most, um, most, um, most resistant stone. That's the power of consistency. Better five minutes a day than five hours in one shot at the end of the week. That's nice. But it, it, it's not sustainable, and it's not, the, it's not the quantity, it's the quality. So it becomes a qualitative shift. Now you'll say, well, this may be difficult. The reward is far, far more than, you'll ever, than, than the entire investment. And the, grat- the gratification of becoming a person that is driven from within instead of from without, is driven from being honest with yourself instead of having to constantly figure out how do I maneuver, who's where, who's what, is tremendously freeing and emancipating. For those that have never experienced it, you will be, you will be shocked at the freedom that you have, the freedom to just be. And I've seen it. I've seen people go from one to the other with that type of conditioning and training and time. You will feel freer than ever before like a bird. But don't be disturbed by setbacks, or obstacles, it's all part of the process. Because there's going to be resistance, but you can overcome it. And what you get in return, as I said, is a tremendously freeing sense of transcendence, of soaring. That wherever you go, you can determine the circumstances rather than the circumstances shaping you. You can shape your future, your destiny. This is your birthright. This is your birthright. You have the full right to access this inside yourself. No one can give it to you. No one has to give it to you. You have it there. 
waiting to be released, waiting to be redeemed. It's in your hands. Always easiest to do it with another. Have a partner, a partner in the cognitive, in the study, maybe someone, a mentor that you can talk to in the emotional and the prayer level and guidance. And finally, the actions. Yes, it's always good to have a partner because that keeps you motivated. You feel a certain accountability to each other. So the journey begins, my friends, right now. You don't need any preparations. You don't need any weeks and weeks of will I do it, will I not do it. Just start. And that's what we at the Meaningful Life Center are driven by helping you, helping ourselves, helping every one of us to reach places you can never reach on your own because we're so subjective. And a person who's in prison cannot free themselves. So my, my friends, my dear friends, your soul is waiting for you. The real you is waiting for you. You're not a physical being on a spiritual journey. You're a soul, a spiritual being on a physical journey. And every part of your journey is not meant to shape and define you. It's meant to catapult you. That you should shape and define it. It's an opportunity for your soul to be propelled and, uh, and to heights, unprecedented heights. Awe. I love that concept of awe. And whenever you think of it, it lifts you up just thinking about it. Lifting you up instead of you having to fit in, tail yourself or shape to others. Shape yourself based and bend yourself backwards in all kinds of directions till you're completely out of shape for other good, for other people being happy, for, to make other people happy, to satisfy others. Now the interesting thing is this is not about a selfish thing. As I said, it's about your, beyond yourself. And that, in turn, means that it includes also helping others. We're not talking about, oh, I'm just going to focus on myself because I'm not serving others. It's about self going beyond the self and then coming back to the self and to serve others through kindness and acts of kindness. So here we are, the Meaningful Life Center. It's a great honor, the greatest honor, to intersect with you in your soul's journey, to talk about things that matter, to help empower you and to help empower us all with accessing the most important birthright that we have, which is your soul, the thing that when you are honest with yourself, you feel most comfortable in. Please be in touch with us. If you have any questions, comments, feedback, just comment, share, spread the word. It's a ripple effect. And, of course, we also depend on your support and sponsorship. Please consider sponsoring this program and future such programs or other programs, a series of them, in honor of a loved one or memory of a loved one, and to do so, simply go to MeaningfulLife.com slash sponsorship. Also at MeaningfulLife.com, you can find the full array of our resources. As I said, it's always an honor. It's a great honor to be able to share, to be able to speak about these matters. Please keep them coming, your suggestions, your thoughts, your comments, and your feedback, as well as suggestions to topics that you'd like us to discuss. And don't hesitate at all to be in touch with us. We are your spiritual health center offering a spiritual gym and now a spiritual spa, study, prayer, actions. And, um, and it's always, as I said, a pleasure and honor. Everyone have a very blessed week, a joyous week, a week where your internal joy from your soul is expressed and experienced from within. We're here every Wednesday live, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. But these programs are archived. You can download podcasts. You find us on all the channels and, and please share, get the word out, give us suggestions of how we can distribute this even further. This has been Simon Jacobson. Everyone have a very blessed and joyous week. Thank you.